یہ انٹرنیشنل گیم ہے اس میں دماغ سے کھیلا جاتا ہے غصے سے نہیں Hello everybody and welcome to episode 91 of Hoop Darshan. Hoop Darshan! Episode number 91, Karan. Uh, I, can't made, I can't believe we made it this far, but we are very, very, very fired up for this episode. Um, before, before anything else, Karan, jersey number 91, what is, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Dennis freaking Rodman, right there, the worm. Very timely, isn't it? It's very timely because uh, we are in the midst of not only a pandemic, but a Jordanemic, Jordanemic, <laughs> something like that. The, the, the only thing that could, that could fight this virus is the greatest player of all time. So, um, you know what I'm talking about. We are, we are watching The Last Dance. What else is the world doing right now except watching The Last Dance? Exactly, exactly. So, and I just, I literally just finished watching the second episode about 10 minutes ago. So, it's all Ooh. very, very fresh in my head. And did you see the trailer for the third episode about uh, Dennis Rodman being in Vegas? It's, it's 48 hours in Vegas with Dennis Rodman. That's going to be uh, that's going to be coming up very soon. So, so you know brilliant. it's going to be entertaining as hell. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, quick trivia for you, Karan. Um, yes. Do you know anybody else who's won jersey number 91? I'm gonna I'm gonna guess my other hero, uh, the man <laughs> who dedicated his jersey to to uh, Rodman himself, Metro World Peace. Absolutely, spot on. So he did wear, he wore that for the Indiana Pacers in one season. Yeah. Um, and also number 91 was worn by uh, New York Knicks legend, Mindaugas Kuzminskas. Oh my God. Kuz. You mean <laughs> the original Kuz, yeah. Yes. <laughs> and 91 uh, also happens to be staying on the Jordan team. It's the year that MJ won his first title, 1991 against Magic and the Lakers. So, uh, so it's just... Uh, there's a, there's a all, sense... There's a sense of a theme here in this episode, isn't it? it, it we are going to Jordan out for the next 45 minutes to an hour. So, you know, if you... That, that's... It's it's just the theme of everywhere, right? Everywhere you turn into ESPN, every podcast, sports... The entire sports world is converging towards one thing. So we decided to basically find the, the biggest Michael Jordan connection in a Desi that we have access to, you know, it, like, of, you know, our Venn diagrams, basketball, India, and, and we literally have, I would say, one, possibly the biggest Indian bas- Michael Jordan fan in the world. I mean, I might yeah. go out with him saying it. And I, I would not put it past him. <laughs> so can you tell our listeners who, uh, who we're speaking to today, Karan? So without further ado, I would like to introduce to all of you guys, uh, making a second ever uh, Hoop Darshan appearance after, I don't know how many years, must have been four or five years since we last spoke to him, Vasu mm-hmm. Kulkarni, the founder of the Crossover app, uh, and just one of the true great uh, living basketball fans in the world. And I'm excited to introduce everyone to Vasu Kulkarni. Welcome back to Hoop Darshan, Vasu. How are you doing? I've been, I've been indoors for, for five weeks now, so I'm doing as well as one can be when they're uh, cooped up in an apartment in New York City. And I mean, it's kind of surprising you remember the five-week number because I have no clue. I have no idea how many weeks, months. You know, the the last NBA action might have been three years ago, and it won't surprise me. It seems like so long ago. 
Well, you know, so, so so many things happened for me to kind of remember the day. So, mm. you know, first of all, we were in a basketball league here in New York. We were yeah. we were we were six and zero to start the season. We were having a great start, and the the last Wednesday uh, before this whole thing got shut down, I had pulled my calf muscle, and so I couldn't play in that game. And I I never miss a game. I mean, I no matter what's going on. Even if I have a business trip, I always fly back to New York on Tuesday nights to be there for my my Wednesday night basketball game. And so I missed that game because of a of a pulled calf, and I didn't even go to coach the boys. I went somewhere else, and I and and so that that's one of the reasons I remember because somebody in that game ended up getting coronavirus, and we got an email from the gym telling everyone. Hey, if you played in the game on Wednesday oh night, you should probably go get tested. And I'm sitting there going, "Oh my god, I dodged a bullet there." Um, and then, of course, you know, the very next, so that same night uh, was the night that that Gobert got uh, mm. got coronavirus and, and was t- was tested positive. And yeah. little known fact. I broke that news on Twitter, but I got. I was just so going to ask you. I, I, I got so you much hate. It. I got so much hate for that that I had to delete the tweet and backtrack my my statement because I'm sitting there going, you know what? This just it's not worth it. Like this is yeah, not yeah. my job. I'm not a journalist. Yeah, like yeah. why why do I need a tweet going viral about someone's healthcare issue and then all this hate being piled on? So I actually deleted the tweet and it took I think almost 30 minutes before Woj ended up actually breaking the news uh, so I- after that. <laughs> So, so I mean, like Wasu bombs were a thing for a while. Like for for, for, for about three minutes, it was a dude, thing. I, I mean, you stole Boj's thunder. That like literally <laughs> never happens. I mean, the, the 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 only other Indian to try doing that is Shams, but you know, Boj right. mostly dunks on Shams quite a lot. So, right. oh man, that'd have been great. Uh, so, uh, how is New York City? I mean, all the stories we hear are just of complete chaos, and I don't know how how are you doing? Are you staying safe? It's like how's the scene over there? I mean, honestly, I'm I'm blessed to say that you know life has not changed much for me, other than again not being able to play ball five days a week. That's the only thing that has actually changed in my life. Uh, other than that, you know, food delivery, everything's open. All my my dal and paneer is being delivered four or five <laughs> days a week. So I'm, you know, I'm I'm eating my food. I'm, I'm you know, business again as business as usual. Luckily enough for me, uh, you know, we're working from home and haven't had any sort of a slowdown in anything. Um, and, you know, I mean, you look outside and there's two people walking on the streets and there's, you know, one car every few minutes that goes by. So for New York City, that's really, really weird and eerie to to look out and see that. But at the same time, it's like a feeling of calm and peace, which you never get in New York. So it just a, it's just a very strange situation. I mean, look, I, I don't know what the situation in the hospital's actually is I, I haven't been to one thankfully i've been i've been healthy through the whole thing um you know i hear mixed mixed reviews of what's going on some people say it's absolute pandemonium other people are saying listen we set up all these makeshift hospitals in central park and the 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 ship came and none of it's actually being utilized so you know what the truth is i have no clue um it, it, at the end of the day though the numbers are still staggering i mean we just passed 40,000 people dead in the United States uh, yesterday, I believe. So, so this thing is, is for real. Where exactly people are dying, I don't know yet. Um, but in New York, I mean, listen, if you're in your apartment and you're looking out the window, it just, it just looks like a very quiet day. That's it. And, and Vasu, you're, uh, 
your family is back in Bangalore, I'm guessing still? Back or? in Bangalore. Yeah, where, so how where are they I doing? Uh, yeah. People are actually taking this thing seriously. I mean, they have not been outdoors <laughs> for for weeks. You know, it's not, one of my one of my distant relatives apparently passed away from it, and so my parents tried to go to the funeral. And literally every every few blocks, the cops would stop the car and say, "Where are you going? Why are you going?" And and they needed a proper reason. Which you know, again, I, I've never seen India take anything seriously other than an <laughs> India Pakistan cricket match. And the fact that they're taking this lockdown that seriously, it, it just it blows my mind. So, so, so Kaushik and I have a running joke, you know, like when the NBA got cancelled, right, um, or, or whatever, suspended, postponed, whatever it is, um, th- there was like huge, like the, the after effects of that in the sports world were massive, like everything started going down one by one and people couldn't believe it. And I was like, see, the, the Basketball Federation of India just knew just to, to never start a league in the first place. They were always ahead <laughs> of the curve. So like no, it's, it's something terrible will happen. We 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 are just smarter than you all, right? <laughs> they're just they're just light years ahead of everybody. Light years ahead. Oh man. <laughs> um, all right. You know what? Let's let's get to the the matter at hand. You, I, I argued before introducing you. Are I, I don't think there's an argument actually that you might be the the biggest Daisy Jordan fan alive. I I I really can't think of anyone else who sort of reaches that level unless you talk about like Tim Grover who you very like uh, recently right. pointed out is is fully Indian um, so the the documentary The Last Dance you saw the first two episodes what was the first reaction just like as you're watching it I mean I, I think for you know first of all it was just it was so hyped I mean we've been waiting for this thing for for close to a year now I think since it was it was announced maybe even a little over a year um, you know, then we're in the middle of this if this mess where there has been no sports on for over a month. I think everyone's just thirsty as hell for some kind of new sports content because um, otherwise we, we've all just been watching reruns on ESPN and NBA TV for the past month. And so, you know, more than anything, I think it was just it was almost like a sigh of relief from everyone that this thing was out and we were going to have two hours where we don't have to think about all the shit that's going on in the world. We can just sit down and watch the greatest of all time. So, you know, I, I think the first, the first thing to hit me was just, okay, like sports, sports is back for, yeah, 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 for yeah. the next two hours. So that was kind of cool. Um, look, I, I have watched every single Jordan documentary, every movie, every book I've read. I mean, I, I've seen it all. I've read it all. And so for me, you know, a lot of the clips and a lot of the sound bites from from even from this documentary were things that I had kind of seen or heard mm-hmm. before. Um, but I think that the you know the unique footage from that '97 crew that was there, I mean, there was stuff in there that I could have never even imagined being able to see. I mean, Jordan calling. Krauss, you know, making a fat joke about him. I mean, that's that's fucking amazing. Those zingers uh, are gold, man. Exactly. Oh, Every time it's we see so good. It's so good. I mean, and then like MJ's mom, like, is she like 30? What the hell? How is she yeah. not aged a day since was, we last yeah. saw her? That's she crazy. His age at this point, you know, like she's she must be in what's late 70s, something like she, that. I, I, yeah. At least at least 70s. I mean, she looks better than he does. And, um, and that was a nice story about the, the letter. Uh, oh, she read the great. letter he wrote, like he's asking for like stamp money or something. <laughs> he's like, dude, this is this is Michael Jordan right now. That was great. No, I mean, they, I, so I'm I'm sure as this thing goes on, there's going to be more and more footage um, that you know that the world has never seen at all. Uh, for for me, it was kind of re, for me it was partially like reliving 
the years of documentaries and books that I've read, part of it was, you know, these things that I heard in passing, like everyone knew Jordan and Krauss were not on the best of terms. Yeah. Uh, but like, I never knew about Scotty having such a big problem with him. You know, I knew that these guys were severely underpaid over their time with the Bulls, but I didn't realize how severely underpaid they yeah. were. And like the seven year, $18 million contract, I, I had never heard of that. Um, and so, you know, I think one of the first things that that after it was over, I spent the last day thinking about was just, wow, man, like in an era with no Internet, look at how different the dissemination of information is, because in today's age, like none of this could have happened without yeah. the athletic writing about it instantly. And there being 10 million tweets and like Scotty Pippen's contract would have been trending on Twitter as the number one thing. For a whole week if that had happened um, versus this whole thing happening in the 80s and 90s you unless you were probably living in Chicago and watching the local Chicago news um, it was probably pretty hard to get all of this information and obviously part of it was that I was super young I mean by the time MJ was done with his entire career uh, you know I was 12 years old so like I I was very young through all of it and yet you know I remember a lot of it as a six-year-old, seven-year-old, eight-year-old. And then, you know, when he came back, I, I do remember uh, vividly watching many of these games. But then, you know, again, over this last 24 hours, I've been thinking to myself, like, how much of it is me actually remembering watching those games when I was eight years old versus having seen the clips and the documentaries over time that has kind of told my brain that I watched it live, but did I, did I? Like, I, I don't even know anymore. Like, it's I've watched so much Jordan content over the years, I just can't even figure out what I actually watched live and what I didn't. That's, you know, like, so I have the exact same memory slash non-memory about the last shot against against Jazz. I'm in, I think I was in Delhi, and again, I was, must have been just like a teenager. And not a big basketball fan at that point. I mean, just I just knew Jordan, of course, as like this. He was bigger than the sport to me. You know, like it was Michael Jordan and then the sport of basketball. So I remember watching the last shot. But again, I'm not exactly sure if I watched it live. Maybe right. I did. Maybe I didn't. Like just, but it, it's just like that memory that, you know, you, you're not entirely sure about. But, you know, you brought up a good point about how things were different, like the internet how internet changed everything about how we get information because I think that's part of the reason why this story is so fascinating because I think Jordan and the Bulls were the last pre-internet era where we, we are still grasping for straws for information and I think everything from LeBron beyond we have everything it's almost as if we're spoiled for choice there's no secrets anymore so um, stuff well, like even, even Kobe like I, I think like around Kobe's time mm was when I think even in India, we started to get the, I mean, it was still a, it was a 56 kbps modem and, yeah, yeah, and you know, the, it, it, it was pretty hour, shitty. Yeah. <laughs> but like, but you could, you could eventually get online and go to NBA.com in like 99, 2000, I feel like. And, and so right at the start of Kobe is where I think that you draw the line. Like Kobe mm -hmm. was part of this new era where you could, even being halfway across the world, yeah. almost get all the information you wanted, even if you couldn't watch it live. Like, there was a way for you to know what was happening. But I think with uh, right up until Jordan retired for the for the second time, you couldn't get anything. Like, it, it was, yeah. Yeah, I still remember, it was, um, 
you know, 5.30 a.m. in on Friday morning and Saturday morning was when the, the games would be on TV in India. And, you know, the school bus used to show up on Friday at, like, roughly right, like 8, 8.15. Yeah, yeah. So, like, if if the game went to overtime, there was no chance I was going to be able to finish watching overtime because I had to run across the street yeah, to yeah. get on the school bus to get to get to school. And so... You know, I have the exact same question about the last shot. Did I actually watch it or not? Um, I, I don't know till this day. I, I do remember in the previous year, in the in the 96-97 finals, when Jordan hits that game winner um, uh, in, in, I think it was game one or game two, uh, that shot I vividly remember watching in person as a kid. So I, that, that's one of the memories I do have. Mm-hmm. Whereas the actual last shot in 98, I don't actually remember watching it live. And I don't know whether I maybe watched it on tape delay later on that day. Um, I, I, I just don't know. But then, you know, you go back to like the first three Pete. And for some reason, I, I remember those games more vividly than I do the hmm. second set, even though I was younger. I mean, where I was, I was five, six, and seven when Jordan won his first three, mm-hmm. and I can like I remember um, in this in the Phoenix series in '93, the game that went to triple overtime, uh, and the Bulls ended up losing that game. Um, I think it was game three. I remember sitting at home. We're watching that game. It goes into the first overtime. We're late for dinner because we were all supposed to go to Pizza Hut as a family for dinner that night. And so at the end of the first overtime, my parents were like, yo, listen, get your ass in the car. We're going to Pizza Hut right now and you can just watch the game there. I'm sure there's a TV at Pizza Hut. So like I remember getting in a car, racing to Pizza Hut and then the game's on in Pizza Hut. And I remember watching overtime two and overtime three at this table, like, I still remember where the TV was compared to where our table was. I, I can still, to this day, remember the pizza on the table. And then I remember the Bulls lost that game in triple overtime. And I remember sitting at the table in Pizza Hut crying. Yeah. And I remember my uncle looking at my dad going, yo, what the fuck's wrong with your kid? Like, why is he crying right now? And my dad's like, I don't know, man. The kid's crazy. Like, he, I, I just don't understand what these people mean to him, but he's, he takes this shit way too seriously. Um, I would, I, 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 I'm, I'm in a similar situation with you in the sense that like, I knew a lot about the stories, but, but the stuff that was new still blew my mind. Like, you know how, like, like for example, Jerry Krause inviting everyone to his daughter's wedding and the new, and the new potential coach, except for Phil Jackson. Like right. that's just, that's savage, and that's that kind of stuff would be, you know, it'd be all over social media today. Or, um, and I loved, of course, that when the documentary went back to the early Jordan, and he's like, he comes into Chicago, and it's like the Chicago cocaine circus, and he's already <laughs> like, within a week, he's like, okay, this is my team now. Screw you guys. Like, it's it's just fascinating to see this stuff being retold because I, I don't think I could ever tire of uh, of MJ stories. Uh, Kaushik, is there? Uh, what stood out to you, like just in the first few episodes, and uh, like the most memorable story or anything like that? Uh, not necessarily a particular story, but I think what stood out for me was I think there's something in it for everybody. There's there's obviously the nostalgia factor for everyone who actually ended up, uh, you know, actually watched Jordan play through through the prime and through all of his different career high points, and there were many many of them. 
but there's also some for people like us who, you know, we were in a completely different part of the world. We caught very little of his live action, but ended up backfilling all of our knowledge with, you know, all of these documentaries and so on, all the way to like someone who was born just a few years ago and has only seen like maybe LeBron as the, as the best player that they've ever seen. They've heard of all of these stories, but to see it woven into such a nice, beautiful story and jumping across timelines and, you know, seeing what exactly this amazing goat of a, of a basketball player was, I think, I think it, it's beautiful. And it's only two episodes in. I can't, I can't wait to see what the next eight are. Uh, Vasu, my question for you is, uh, obviously we've seen a lot of storylines in the first two episodes so far. In in the next eight, like what are what are particular story angles or things that you recollect from your sort of childhood and learning everything about Jordan that you're hoping to see in the next next few episodes? I mean, obviously, I'd love I'd love to find out what actually happened in '93, as I'm sure everyone would. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't think that that's going to come up. I mean. You yeah. know, before before yeah. David don't hold your breath David, on that. <laughs> yeah, before David Stern passed away, you know, rest in peace. Um, I I I got to ask him about it, and you know, he 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 always laughed at me when I asked that question and said, <laughs> "You're out of your mind if you think I'm going to open my mouth about that." I, it, it's funny, dude, but most of the conversations David and I had resulted in him saying no comment to me, um, <laughs> regardless of what I asked him. And so, uh, I, you know, I have to imagine. There, there are some secrets he took to the grave that uh, that may never come out. But uh, you know, <laughs> crazy story about David. Uh, I, I may have been one of the last people to speak with him that morning before he went into his coma. We were texting about he had just bumped into my buddy on the street uh, after my buddy had had breakfast with me. And he was heading to the train station and David was walking up towards his lunch meeting. And they, they bumped into each other on the street. So my buddy stops him and says, hey, hey Commissioner, uh, I just had I just had breakfast with your buddy Vasu, and uh, and so the commissioner laughs at him. He goes, "Hey, are, are you a venture capitalist too?" And my buddy goes, "No, no, I'm just you know just a friend of his." And so so then then he, you know my buddy texts me, so then I text David and I say, "Hey, commissioner, I heard you just bumped into my friend," and uh, and he he you know he hit me right back. He, that was the one thing about David. He anytime I would text him, day or night, David Stern would hit me right back, uh, mm. oftentimes with an emoji. Uh, which was which was pretty funny to have uh, you know an 80 year old guy sending you emojis an absolute legend and uh, and so I said uh, hey you know I just spoke with some of your guys at the league office a couple of days ago and they tell me that you're still hitting them up uh, asking for favors even in retirement what's going on and and I got one line back from me said only for my guys and then and then that was it man that was the last that was it I mean literally I think. 20 minutes later, he walked into this restaurant and he, and he died. It was crazy. Um, so, you know, getting back just to as more, a, a, yeah. Just to sort of like, just as a mini tangent on like, you know, David Stern's own greatness. Uh, what was his favorite emoji? Or are you allowed to tell us that? Yeah, I, he, he, he went across the entire spectrum of emojis. I mean, okay. I, I've received everything. Uh, you know, the, the one thing that I always wanted to do was to send him, if you, if you search David Stern GIFs on the internet, you know, yeah, the best yeah, one yeah, yeah, yeah. is the one of him choking on, on water when he's drinking and sitting in the stands. And so for, for many years, I wanted to find an opportunity to send that yeah. GIF to him and, and try to get a response from him out of it. And uh, luckily enough, uh, about about three four months ago, 
uh, I was taking a meeting in, in the same building that his office is in, you know, on the same floor, actually. And so I, I was sitting in this conference room and I texted, or I, I can't remember, I, I emailed David instead of texting him. I emailed him and I said, hey, commissioner, in case you're in your office, I'm on the same floor as your office, would love to pop by and, and say hello. And he was, he was somewhere in Europe. He was in Sweden or Norway or something. And even while he was there, he replied to my email immediately and said, hey, I'm, I'm in, uh, I'm in Sweden or wherever he said, he said, uh, I, you know, I'm one step ahead of you. I knew you were going to be in my office. So I made sure to get the hell away from you. And so I, I responded to his email with that gif of, of him yeah, choking yeah. on water. Uh, sadly, he did not respond to that email, but at least I managed to send it to him and That's I know awesome. he saw it. Now it'd have been amazing if David Stern has ever sent that gif to somebody else as a response. Oh like, man. That'd have been next oh, level. Of great. Um, yeah, I mean, the 93 story is, of course, like, on everyone's mind. And, you know, it's, fr- from what I've gathered, it's not just a simple one-thing answer. You know, I think it's, right. it's everything. It's, it, it, it is the fact that he, his dad wanted him to play baseball since he was a kid. It's the fact that, of course, his, you know, he was sick of all this, like, madness around him. The gambling thing has to be a part of it somewhere, you know. Right. Um, and, of course, like, I just think a part of it, is that he he really did not have any competition by then like i think i think it all it, it all is a, a factor of it but i guess we'll never know what was the sort of tipping point you know no i don't think so i mean so so i think that's that's going to be an interesting one if it ever comes up i think the flu game and and what really happened the night before the flu game is going to be an interesting one obviously the the rumors have swirled about that one for a long time everything from you know being being poisoned by the pizzeria to yeah. He, he must have been out partying and, and, you know, consuming things he shouldn't have been. Um, who, who knows? Uh, I mean, that, that's another fascinating one. I think, you know, just in the, in the first episode, the fact that this guy would go out and, uh, and golf with Danny Ainge the day before game two of, of a playoff wow. series yeah. is just, like, that was mind blowing to me. Yeah. And, and then, you know, I started, I go online and people are like, Oh, imagine if, if Draymond, I mean, if, uh, if, if Steph Curry and LeBron would golf before an NBA championship game in this era, like people, here's the crazy part. Like that shit actually happens. Like yeah. I know for a fact that during the NBA finals um, a couple years ago that Steph, LeBron, Draymond and all of these guys were together in one of their homes um, right after one of the games uh, that was played in San Francisco, and uh, there was a lo- rather large poker game that was played, and and there was <laughs> some money that there was there was big money that exchanged hands, and yeah. and like these things are still going on, and and it's actually shocking that in this era, like that stuff hasn't come out, um, and it, it's kind of nice to know that there are still things going on in the NBA between the players behind the scenes where there is no social media, there is. No yeah. one putting this video out. And like, if you're not an insider and you don't know somebody that tells you this stuff, like there is still some mystique left because otherwise it almost feels like every single thing these guys do is on Twitter or Instagram, like five yeah. minutes later. Yeah. yeah. Like everything <laughs> seems very manufactured. So it's kind of, and, and you're right. Like I, I actually don't want to know more details. You know, it's kind of like, let them have something. It's, it's, right. it's it, it, there's a bit too much that, you know, like, for example, the, the Jordan-Danny Ainge thing. Like, everyone knew Jordan just took everyone golfing. Like, the, fa- the story of him, uh, didn't he give showered, like, Charles Barkley with a lot of gifts in the finals yep, and then yep. destroyed him the next day? Like, exactly. stuff like that is well known. Those aren't secrets. But 
I, I did love the confidence with which he said, tell your boy DJ I have something for him tomorrow. And this is, <laughs> yeah. We're talking about a guy who's basically had a rookie season and a quarter of a season, basically. Right. Who has, going up against possibly one of the greatest teams of all time, go, and DJ is one of the greatest defenders of that entire decade. And yep. here's this sophomore, he's like, yo. And, and he does it. He comes through with his word. Like, it's just incredible. It's so MJ. Nah, it's uh, it's crazy, man. I mean, from 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 the beginning, I think anybody, whoever saw MJ play, and you know what, one of my biggest regrets in life is I never got to see him actually play a live game in a Bulls uniform. I I've met him multiple times. I've seen him play a pickup game, um, guarded by Shannon Brown. Uh, but I've I've gotten to do a lot of really cool things in my life. But as a result of having lived in India for most of that time during Jordan's prime, I unfortunately never actually got to see him play. And, uh, and you know, I, I would give anything. Like, literally, I would give up everything I've ever done in my life for one opportunity to see him play in a live game because I think yeah. that... And I, I sort of felt that way about Steph for a very short period of time a couple of years ago where it was like, man, I miss Jordan... I luckily got to see a, a decent amount of Kobe. Um, you know, LeBron has never really wowed me in that same way. I mean, I, I, again, no disrespect to LeBron. I think he's, he's one of the greatest of all time. But the game for him, it was, it was not artistic. Like, yeah. like, Le, like Jordan, Kobe, Steph, like, it's like watching ballet. It's like watching a, 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 a symphony play. And with LeBron, it's like, Man, this guy's just so big and strong. He's just a force of nature, and and to me personally, it's just it it has never appealed in the yeah. same way that those three guys appealed to me. And and so you know when Steph started doing what he started doing in 2016, you know that was the year I kind of said to myself, man, I'm gonna regret this for the rest of my life if I don't do everything that yeah. I can do to watch every game that I can watch of his live. And and as a result of that, you know. I I was lucky enough to see uh, while going to watch him. I, I ended up ha- getting to see Clay hit the 11 threes in the Western Conference Finals against OKC and OKC uh, in Game Six. I've seen Clay hit 60 points in three quarters on like 14 dribbles. I was there when Clay had 14 threes and set the the, the record. Um, I was there for many of the finals games, both when when the Cavs came back in game seven um, and I was there for all of the other Warriors championships as well. And so it was, it was really to see Steph and to yeah. see something magical that allowed me to see all these other cool things happen. Um, but, you know, going back to MJ, man, like not getting to see him play is probably the, the biggest regret of my life. And I, you know, I, I don't know what I could have done differently. Like, it's not like we had a ton of money. It's not like I could have been like, yo, mom, dad, like we got to fly to, yeah. to, to, to the get, U.S. right now and I got to see this guy play. Yeah, or, or that, right? And so you know, the, the closest I came was um, when I was 18, my mom surprised me and got me into Jordan's summer camp uh, in Santa Barbara. And so uh, I went to Jordan flight school. And uh, so the first, the very first day, of course, I roll my ankle really badly in the camp. And so now you know, they, they take me to, the, to get an x-ray. It's negative, luckily. They put me in a boot so that I can hopefully recover by the third day of the camp and get some playing time. I'm, I'm literally walking around on crutches um, 
I've waited my whole life to be at Jordan camp and I'm on crutches on the, on day one. And so I'm, I'm just there and uh, watching everyone else play and then seeing me on crutches, Michael comes up to me um, and he goes, Hey man, what's going on? I'm like, Hey Mike, how you doing? I mean, this is, you can't, you just, you can't understand. Like I'm 18 years old, my entire life. This guy is God to me. And Michael Jordan just walked up to me and said, Hey man, how you doing? And I go, you know, uh, you know, I've been, I've been better. And, and he goes, what happened? And I go, well, you know, I was driving through the lane and I, I rolled my ankle and he looks at me, he goes, what shoes were you wearing? And I go, I was wearing Air Jordans, Mike. And, and, it, and he starts laughing and like, you know, comes in, gives me a hug and, uh, and, then, and he walks away. And I literally remember, you know, right there calling my mom going, mom, Michael Jordan just hugged me. Rolling my ankle was the greatest thing I've ever done in my life. <laughs> and, and so, you know, so, so, so by the third day I get back out there, I mean, listen, by the way, this camp, like I had no business playing in it. JaVale McGee was my roommate well, at yeah, this camp. Yeah, told this story, right? yeah, yeah. Like it's, it's bananas. Um, and, and it's like the previous year LeBron had played at the camp. Um, I don't even remember who the other kids were at my camp, but I'm, I'm sure there were kids who played that year that ended up becoming Division One players or, or perhaps NBA players like like JaVale. Uh, I, I think Little Romeo was at that camp, That's the amazing. rapper. And, and dude, that kid was really good. I mean, yeah, people yeah. don't realize Little Romeo went to USC with DeMar DeRozan. They were a package deal. Uh, basically, DeMar had told the coach at USC, if my boy Little Romeo doesn't come with me, I'm not coming to USC. And so they gave them both scholarships to come to, to well, USC. And that, the kid could play. And, um, and Master P, like his dad played. Right, exactly. The Hornets, or who was it? I forget. Like he, I forget he, too. But yeah, his, I mean, his yeah. dad. Yeah, yeah, his dad showed up at camp one day, and so you know this camp was crazy. And so on the last day of camp, everyone's allowed to get one item autographed by Michael. Uh, and so it's a big thing on the last day. Like everyone's like, "Hey, man, what did you get? What did you get to get Michael to autograph?" And so you know you saw everything from magazines to bold jerseys to Laney High School jerseys to whatever, right? And, and this was my moment. I had been preparing for this my entire life. And so I had gotten an artist to paint the, the Jordan free throw line dunk on oil canvas, basically replicated by hand, 24 by 36 oil painting. Uh, and, and I had this thing ready to go. So we're all, you know, that morning we all wake up and everyone's like, yo, JaVale, what uh, what you what you getting MJ to autograph, man? And JaVale looks at us and he goes, man, I'm going to be in the league soon. I don't need this fool's autograph. Oh my and so, and so, so my That's man JaVale, yo, my man JaVale sold his spot in the line, basically oh agreed to get another item autographed for one of the guys who was in our room for an extra 300 bucks. The guy made $300 and sold his autograph to somebody else. So, so we, you know, we, we get in line and it's, it's, I mean, there's 700 people, like it's a huge camp. And so, you know, you're, you're basically the entire last day, all you're doing is standing in line waiting for MJ to, to autograph your item. It's like an assembly line. Uh, and so, so, you know, I finally get to the front of the line. I put my, I put my uh, painting on the table. MJ like looks at it and he's like, whoa, like, and then he looks up at me and like, again, he's signing 700 autographs. So he doesn't have time to really yeah. have a conversation with anyone. So he kind of just like gives me this quizzical look like, damn, like this thing's, this thing's actually kind of dope, yeah. but he doesn't say anything. And then he signs it right across the middle. Perfect autograph. I still have it. I, I posted it the other day on, 
on Twitter. Um, and then it moves to the next person who is a representative from Upper Deck. And so they put a, a seal of authenticity on it to prove that nice. this is a real autograph. And then it, it keeps moving along and, and then you pick it up. And so the last person sitting at that table uh, was a guy named George Raveling. And George Raveling was one of the first African-American coaches in college basketball here in the U.S. Like He's like 85 years old now. He was, at the time, was the director of Nike Basketball International. He had also been an assistant coach on the 92 Dream Team. He had actually coached the group of college players who had come in and actually beaten the, uh, the, the actual Dream Team in that scrimmage game that everyone's heard about. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so George is like a legend. He was, you know, there are so many stories I could tell you about George. I think one of the best ones was... Uh, in 1984, during during the NBA draft, you know, back in those days, there was no there was no place you went. Like you found out you were drafted over the phone while watching TV. So during the NBA draft in '84, Jordan, Stockton, Barkley were all in Indiana for Team USA workouts because they were going to the '84 Olympics. Yeah, yeah. And so, and George was an assistant coach on that team as well. And so they're all in this gym, I think, at, at Indiana University, where where because Bobby Knight was the was the coach of that team. So they're all in Indiana working out, and it's the day of the draft. And so, you know, George says to MJ Barkley and, and John Stockton, I believe, I, I know it was MJ and Barkley for sure. I'm I'm forgetting whether Stockton was also on that team or not, but I'm fairly certain he was. And so all three of them were there. And, and so George says, hey, guys, uh, you're, you're probably getting drafted today. Um, we, we should probably go over to the TV station so that you guys can actually watch uh, the draft. And so he drives the three of these guys over to a, a TV station like a, an hour away so that they can actually watch their names being called during the NBA draft. Yeah, yeah. And so they sit there. They watch the draft. MJ, you know, MJ Barkley and Stockton all get drafted. Um, and, and so they're, uh, they're on their, uh, they're on their way back. And George says, Hey guys, we, you know, we should celebrate. You guys are NBA players now. Um, you know, where, where do you want to go to eat? And, and Mike looks at George and he goes, well, I want to go to McDonald's. And, <laughs> and so they stop off at McDonald's and they ate in 1984, their celebratory <laughs> meal for having drafted into the NBA That's at amazing. McDonald's and then, and then came back to Bobby Knight's practice. Um, that, that's crazy. And you, you know what's, I mean, what's wild is that in 84, they, they stayed at home and watched the draft on TV. I think that's how this year's gonna draft. This that's right. Year, that might be like, it's gonna, it's gonna be a Zoom draft, you know? It, You're gonna, it all comes full circle, It all comes full so, 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 so you told us a story about the first time you met MJ. Right. But of course, now you have, as an adult, met this man, spoken to him. Uh, I mean, if, I want to know the stories behind... You, you, I'm living vicariously through your experiences, you know? Like, you, 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 you are like the one Desi holding up our, our banner here. You, 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 met, you met God himself. Just compare him to other... Not just other, like, athletes, but other just, like, straight-up human beings. Like, what is he like? What is Michael Jordan like in person? You know, it, it's hard to tell. So, I, you know, I've never gotten to sit down with him in like a private setting where I know no one's watching and, and he knows no one's watching and there are no cameras anywhere. Like that, that's never been the case, right? Um, you know, I, so first time I met him, obviously at camp, 
the second time I met him, it was his 50th birthday party. And I basically, my buddy and I gate crashed this party and we, we got in and we literally went and stood at his table. And it was literally, it was Jordan Pippen, uh, Kukoc, Ron Harper, Jordan's wife, Scotty's wife at the time, you know, two blazing hot models. And then it was, and then me and my buddy who are like, Oakley there? I would imagine Oak just being like in the periphery. You know, I, I can't remember whether Oak showed up or not. Um, I imagine he may, you know, he probably was, I, I don't remember him, uh, per se from that night, but you know, I mean, this was, this was our moment. Like for my buddy yeah. and I, we're two of the biggest Jordan fans ever. And to say, that we literally stood at MJ's table and and said happy birthday to the guy on his 50th birthday. I mean, it's it's yeah. insane. And I mean, I have pictures of like MJ one foot behind me at this table and, and like my buddy's taking creepy pictures of me from like five <laughs> feet away. And we and, and like it was it was nuts. But like, you know, there was there was no real communication. It was just like, hey, happy birthday, Mike. Oh, thanks. Like, who the fuck are you? Uh, you know? And, and it's funny, we did that three straight years. So like 50, That's 51, hilarious. 52, every year, because his birthday party is always thrown for him at All-Star Weekend. And so we're always there. And so we would go in and we'd gate crash. And, you know, we, we were like, man, maybe at some point, MJ will just be like, who fuck are these guys that are always here at my birthday? Maybe he'll <laughs> actually like, maybe he'll actually talk to us. Um, but, you know, nothing really happened. I felt he was, you know, a fairly private guy. He wasn't really outgoing and, and that gregarious in those settings because you're talking about hundreds of people yeah. being there. You know, and then and then a few years later, I went back to Santa Barbara where he has his camp. Um, and this time, you know, this time I was probably 28 years old. It was, I think it was 28 because it was exactly 10 years after I had gone and played at his camp for the first time. And I knew the hotel in which he stayed. There's only one hotel in Santa Barbara that's like this insane, amazing resort. And he always stays there. And so I checked myself into the hotel for the week just for shits and giggles. And, um, you know, I ended up sort of stalking the guy in the, the lobby every day. I, I was like sitting there like a PI, like, okay, 8.15, he eats breakfast. <laughs> 8.30, he heads out for golf with like 15 buddies. You know, 12.30, he's back, eats lunch in the, in the restaurant. Uh, it goes back to his room and then at like seven, he comes back down, eats dinner, has a drink, and then he goes back to camp. So like I had his routine down. And so like for, for four days, I tried to kind of figure out what my move was going to be here. And I, I finally, on the very last day, I knew he was going to be at the bar at night. I knew at like nine 30, he gets up to go, go back to camp. And so I waited at the bar. And I, I contemplated sending a drink over. And then I was like, mm, I don't know. Seems a yeah. little forward here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, don't, I don't need him getting the wrong ideas. And so, so I'm sitting there at the bar reading a book. And you know, wait, as wait, he's you're sitting yeah. in an evening in a bar. It's dimly lit and you're reading a book. Correct. Exactly. What book is it? Just, just, I have just... no clue. I, I could not even, I, I have no clue. All I remember is I had a book with me in order to not look like a complete loser sitting there by myself, at least to look occupied. I remember I had a book with me. And so, so MJ stands up to leave. Uh, and he, and you know, usually MJ in this setting has like eight, 10 people around him and it's impossible. Like the minute you start walking towards him, it's kind of like, his posse knows to step forward and make sure you don't get there. But that night, he only had two friends with him. 
And, and so as he stands up to leave, I get up and I kind of cut him off between where he was and the, and the front door of the bar. And I go, uh, Hey, MJ. Um, and he goes, uh, Hey, uh, he kind of looks at me like he's kind of like taken aback. He's a little startled. He's a little worried if the creepy Indian guy's about to do something to him <laughs> at this point. Uh, so he, he kind of like, you know, he, he steps back a little bit. And then, you know, luckily we have a lot of, you know, these same friends in common, like George Raveling and, and other people. And so I kind of like, I, I put him at ease. I'm like, hey, you know, this person would have given me shit if I, you know, if he knew I was here and I didn't come say what's up to you. Mm-hmm. And so the minute I say that, he's yeah. suddenly like, oh, he's like, oh, if, if, if he's saying that name, yeah, yeah. then, you know, then, then it's all good. Like, yeah, yeah, there, yeah. Then, there's no way he would have said this person's name if he didn't know him, especially with his nickname. And yeah. so once I said that, like he put his guard down and, and, you know, and then we had a little, you know, a little chit chat. I kind of told him, Hey man, you know, I, I played at your camp uh, a decade ago and, you know, I, I was, I was injured and now it's 10 years later. And I, and I was like, you know, I just so happened to be in Santa Barbara this weekend. And, <laughs> well, what are the odds you're here? Uh, <laughs> so, so, you know, we, we have a little one, two minute chat. And uh, and then and then literally on on the way out, he goes, what you say your name was again? Vasu? I was like, yeah, he goes, all right, I'm, I'm going to ask, you know, whoever this person was that I had mentioned. Yeah. He's like, I'm, I'm going to ask him about you. And I was like, all right, cool. And and that was it. Like we had that, you know, that that one or 90 second moment there where we had a real conversation in a private setting. And he was very genuine and he took an interest and he mm-hmm. he heard my name and he repeated my name to me at the end of that conversation, which like when you introduce me to anyone in the world, I forget their name like 20 seconds later. Like people are like, hey, I'm John. And I'm like, who are you, Corey? Like, I have no fucking clue who you are. Like MJ, MJ was really good about that stuff. And, and he did make you feel pretty damn special for that one minute. Um, I, I'll say, you know, compared to other people, he's not that great. So like Magic Johnson to me is one of those guys who I've, I've gotten time to, uh, an opportunity to spend some time with magic. And like, even in the one to two minutes that you'll be there having a conversation with magic, I, I don't think there's anyone I've met in the world who makes you feel as special as magic does. And he, like, you really leave that conversation believing that you and magic are boys and like, yeah. he's your guy and you've known each other your whole life. And so like magic he, he was a really... Like- he seems like just a born politician. Like just every, he's like just a dude who can just always. He just knows exactly. Looks looks in the eye, knows what to say to everybody at the right time. You know. A- absolutely. So magic's like that. Doc Rivers, shockingly, is like that. I I bumped into Doc at a bar in Vegas uh, a few years ago, and and I remember you know just the five minute conversation I had with him. It was just such a genuine interest, and and he really made you feel like he was all in talking to you despite the fact that I'm a nobody, you know, Obama, I, I lucky enough got to meet Obama twice in the last four months. And s- same thing, like the, the, the 90 seconds you get with him, he's all in like, and, and, you know, we talked about basketball and, and that was, you know, I, I'd say after MJ, it was actually funny how the whole thing happened. So uh, I got connected to one of his guys and we were talking um, and we met up and I was telling him, Hey, I was like, yo man, Obama's like my second, Obama's like my second favorite person on earth. Like I really want to meet him. And this guy's like second favorite. Who's your favorite? And I go, well, you know, it used to be Michael, 
But then, like, you know, I met Michael a bunch, and he's, like, he's not necessarily the nicest, warmest guy. Like, he's still the GOAT, but, like, yeah. he's not the nicest guy on earth. And I was, like, so, you know, Michael's moved down to third place. Steph is currently number one, and Obama's number two. And I was, like, and I've already met Steph multiple times, and he's just you know, the nicest dude in the world, always comes over to say hello to me. And so I said, you know, I'd love to meet Obama. And this guy goes, Really? He's like, well, I can make that happen easily. I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, yeah, no, no problem. Like, we'll we'll make it happen for you. And no, I was like, yeah, this guy's full of shit. No joke. Like three weeks later, the guy emails me and he's like, hey man, uh, you want to meet Obama? Like, be in Atlanta on this day, and you know, I'll get you a little meet and greet with Obama before he goes on stage to speak at this conference. I'm like, holy shit! So you know, <laughs> my boy and I, we pack our bags, we get our ass down to Atlanta. It's, it's like 7 a.m. We have to be at this conference center. We get taken down into the basement. There's like secret service everywhere. And and so, you know, we finally get to the front and you're supposed to go two at a time. Um, whoever's in your party, because they're trying to move this thing along. And they're like, listen, get to the front two at a time, one on either side of Obama. No phones, no keys, nothing in your pockets. The, the official photographer will take your picture. Keep it moving. I'm like, all right, fine. So we get to the front, me and my boy, another Indian, Deepin. And so we're, we're there. And I was like, yo, listen, I've waited my whole fucking life for a picture with Obama. If you think I'm sharing this picture with you, you're out of your mind. Like, there's <laughs> no way we're going up there together. So I push him. Uh, it, you know, Obama, as the documentary said, you know, form, former Chicago resident. Former Chicago resident, exactly. <laughs> uh, uh, so to, to bring it back to the documentary a little bit. Uh, so, you know, we get to the front, I push my, my, my buddy in front. So Deepin like sort of like staggers up to the front. Everyone's kind of looking like, what are these two idiots doing? They're supposed to be there together. I'm just acting like I have no idea what's going on. So the so Deepin goes up, he goes, Mr. President, great to meet you. Stands next to him, takes a picture, steps aside. I walk up, Mr. President, great to meet you. We take the picture. I'm supposed to walk away. I look at him. I go, you still hooping? And then he looks at me and he goes, He's just startled. He's like, holy shit, I can't believe someone's asking me about basketball right now. And so he stops and he goes, nah, man, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm getting old. I don't really, I don't really play that much anymore. And I go, well, you know, I just had meniscus surgery on my left knee. He goes, well, see, this is exactly why I tell you, like, I don't want to play. I don't want to have to deal with all these injuries in my old age, whatever. Um, so, you know, so, so we get into a conversation when everybody else just had to like take a picture and walk away basketball is what brought it all together. And so we start so we have a little chat for about 90 seconds. And again, like I said, he's one of those guys that he's all in and he makes you feel like he's really listening. And so at the end of the conversation, I go, you know, Mr. President, I know you say you don't play much anymore, but if you're ever in New York and you want to just shoot around, you know, I've, I've got a court, we'll shut it down for you and, and we'll get some shots up. And he looks at me and he goes, well, you know, I'll take your ass at horse any day. And, 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 I, and I, I was just like, oh, man, uh, this is this is this might be the greatest moment of my life. You know, the, the president just said he's going to beat me at horse. Uh, and, and so, you know, so that that happened like in November. And then this year at All Star Weekend, Obama was there again. And he did a panel with uh, Giannis and yeah. Kevin Love and Chris Paul and Michael Wilbon. And again, I, again, I was lucky enough to get invited to that panel and I got to meet with, uh, with the president before. 
this time he was in a little bit of a hurry. I, I walked up to him and I was kind of like, Mr. President, I don't know if you remember me. He was like, thanks for coming. And we took a picture and we, and we walked <laughs> off. So it, it's funny how on different days you, you get a different side of these guys. But listen, man, I mean, it, it's been it's been an unbelievable journey. If you if you told me as a kid in Bangalore fucking 10 years ago growing up that I would have gotten to meet all of these people that are literally gods to me. Um, and, and all brought together by this basketball brotherhood, I would have said you're out of your mind, but, uh, but, but here we are. So, so I'm going to guess <laughs> you, you haven't had the same gregarious meeting with the current president, right? Oh, let's, 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 let, if, if we go down that path, this, this podcast is going to take a very different turn. All right, all right. <laughs> Vasi, you mentioned about you know, a kid from Bangalore ending up meeting with uh, with Obama and with Jordan and all of your sort of life heroes. So very briefly, tell me about like how a kid from, you know, Vidyanagetan school in Hebal <laughs> ends up <laughs> ends up being such a massive uh, a Jordan fan from back in the day. Any sort of um, early, early fandom stories that you'd like to tell us? Yeah, I mean, look, I, I p- part of it was definitely that I grew up here for a bit, right? I was born in LA and I lived in LA from from 86 to 93 or 94 before I moved back. So I was in the US for Jordan's first three uh, championships. And, you know, the, the story literally is that I, you know, we, we, we did not come from much money. Um, even when we were here, we were, I'd say in the US, we were, we were quite poor. And then when we moved to India, we were probably somewhat middle class as a result of having come there with the, with a few dollars in our pocket, but you know, we, we, we were not very rich. And, and so we lived in this, in this kind of a dump of an apartment building in, in California. And, you know, both my parents worked and what, as soon as I was born, you know, they needed to leave me somewhere. And there was a guy who lived above us in this apartment complex named Carl Wellman. And he was a, he was a, a an army veteran um, guy was a huge sports fan. And I mean, it's funny, as I've been thinking back through in preparing for the last dance, which it's crazy, like we've we've been preparing for the last dance. I mean, I'm like I'm like stretching and doing wind sprints on Sunday afternoon in my apartment, getting ready for this. And like so the whole last week has been me thinking back through my life, which has been kind of cool to like have this event coming up that makes you kind of get philosophical about about everything and so you know i was thinking back to this apartment complex in in uh, in california and the fact that my parents would leave me from probably year one onwards uh with this guy carl wellman who would watch me all day i can to this day fully picture his apartment i can picture his couch his tv where his kitchen was i can i know i i literally know the entire layout of his apartment I cannot picture my own apartment at all. <laughs> the place I lived in, I have no clue. I couldn't tell you one thing about it, but I can tell you everything about Carl Wellman's apartment. And Carl Wellman would always have Bulls games on because he had cable and we did not have cable. And we never had cable in, when, when, I, when I was growing up here. It was too expensive. And so we would only watch you know, the, the playoffs because whenever it was on, on local over-the-air NBC – we could watch those games. It was, NBA, it was NBA on NBC with the theme song back then, which is still the greatest theme song of all time. Um, but those were the only games that I could watch. So the only way I could actually watch the, the Bulls games when they weren't playing 
the Lakers or the Clippers was was at Carl Wellman's house. And so basically from the time I was probably one or two years old, I was basically put in front of a couch for eight hours a day watching some sort of sports in this guy's house. And and that's really where I believe it came from, uh, because, you know, we didn't we didn't grow up in a household where where anyone encouraged sports. No one in my family was was watching any any of these games. Um, and so that that was really probably where all of it started was at two, three years old watching in, in this guy's house. And then, you know, and then and then I just I got obsessed with it, man. I, I don't know what it is. I don't know what that moment was. I, I want to say it was probably like the 91 finals when when the Bulls were in town. And and I, I mean, I was three, four years old, but um, I, I'd say I certainly watched those games um, may not have fully understood what was going on. I think the Portland series in 92 was the first series that I was kind of like, I was five, six years old at that point, And I, I, I definitely remember watching that. And then the following year, by the time the Suns uh, series started, I mean, that, at that point, I know that I, I fully recall those games and, and remember screaming and jumping. But, you know, I, I would get visibly upset when the bulls lost a game and i was watching it like i would throw things in my apartment i'd be <laughs> i'd be punching couches and pillows and like i had a real problem i mean from the time i was super young i have been fully 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 obsessed with jordan and the bulls and and, and um you know, where it comes from other than that one anecdote that it you know i, I was placed in front of a tv as a kid for hours on hand uh, other than that there's there's no explanation for for any of this um, and then coming to India, I think one of the, you know, I, I hated that we had moved back, but I, I always say, I think one of the benefits for me of having moved back was that while I didn't get to watch Jordan as much and I didn't get to, to watch the games other than the two per day, uh, two per week that we would get in India at the time, I think from the standpoint of actually playing the game, India offered me, you know, just sort of a, an easier path to being a good basketball player because here I would have been a tiny dude who probably sucked versus in India, I was kind of a slightly, I, would, I was larger than average at like at 5'11 and, and the skill set was just so much, was just so much lower of a bar to have to, have to sort of cross to be a star in India that, I think that sort of the passion to play was was bigger because I grew up there and because I was good compared to everyone else. And so that sort of mm. carried on for me to to coming here for college and eventually making the team as a senior and getting to play a year. I don't know that all of that would have happened if I'd stayed here. I, I often wonder, like, had I stayed here, yes, the coaching would have been better and people would have taught me to play the right way versus... I mean, in India, it was a it was a shit show. Like nobody taught me what a screen and roll was until you know until I got to the U.S. So like we clearly had you know comparatively far less technical coaching in the U.S. I mean, in, in India, but I think that because I was a big fish in a small pond, it allowed me to become a better player, and and eventually turned into me sort of having a passion not just for watching the game, but also for playing the game. I mean, and and to this day. I'm out there like multiple surgeries down and it doesn't matter. Like I will play basketball till the day I die. <laughs> uh, just, just a quick one before we move on to the next one. Uh, so obviously for listeners who, uh, who heard me name drop 
a school's name. I'm, I'm not crazy stalker of Vasu or anything. You just happened to end up going to the same school when we were younger. Um, <laughs> obviously, um, like you, you did say, you know, that whole point of being a big fish in a small pond definitely helped. And I think um, what I want to talk to you about is like Jordan's fandom sort of transcended different countries and stuff, right? Like uh, even kids in India. And I, and I completely appreciate the fact that maybe our school had a better basketball culture than a, a normal Indian school would. But w- what was it like for you to, you know, see the fandom of of this, like, you know, transcendent guy uh, all the way in, in another country where, like, let's face it, like cricket's like the top five uh, top five biggest sports in the country, and then and then it's everything else. Uh, so, w- what did you feel like um, when you sort of spoke to your friends and kids your own age about you know who who were clearly into basketball and maybe had a little bit of knowledge about you know what, what Jordan was, what Kobe was, and stuff like that? It, it was a sigh of relief, to be honest, because I mean I was nine years old, moving across the across the world to a place that I had spent very little time in a culture that's completely different than what I had. I, I mean, I thought I was never going to watch a basketball game again for the rest of my life when I moved. Um, I mean, I, I didn't know what to expect, but I knew that it wasn't going to be pretty compared to what I had been used to uh, in, in California living there. And so I think coming to India and and realizing that, you know, the world really is smaller than we think it is. And the fact that I, I was always impressed more than anything else, I think, with the kids at VNS and just generally in, in India who seem to have this knowledge and appreciation and passion for the game of basketball and, and for Michael and Kobe because I always thought to myself, like, if I hadn't grown up in the U.S., would I have even known about all of these things? And, and the fact that all these guys knew about this and they were fans, I think it was, you know, partially it was a, it was a sigh of relief that I have some commonality with people because... Other than that, I had nothing. I mean, my, you know, within my own family and extended family, like, we have nothing in common with each other. I am, I've always been the black sheep of the family. I've always gone off and done something that made no sense to anyone else. And, and I had all, I had this obsession with the game that most of these people in my family have never even heard of in their lives. And so I think having people in school with us who were huge fans and played and the fact that, I mean, at least in VNS and, and perhaps in a handful of other schools, like basketball was still the cool kids game, right? I mean, people played cricket, mm. people played soccer, but it was the basketball guys who were considered the cool kids. It was the basketball guys who got the girls. And it was, ironically, the basketball guys who listened to hard rock and metal in <laughs> India, which makes no sense whatsoever, because anywhere else in the world, like... That's the devil's music. And if you're a basketball guy, you listen to hip hop. But somehow in India, like I became a metalhead because the guys who played before me at VNS, like Bala and all these guys were, they were metalheads. Mm-hmm. And the guys who played before them were metalheads. And so it, it was almost like the, the rite of passage of being a cool <laughs> kid at that time was you make the basketball team and you become a metalhead. And, and those two things just never went together. I remember... Uh, many years later when I was at Lakers camp playing as a kid um, I I had my disc man on and I was listening to Metallica and one of the Lakers coaches comes up to me and he looks at my disc he's like what you listening to and he sees Metallica on the on the screen he goes man turn that devil's music off what you doing (laughs) and and like and and I was like what like this is what 
This is what basketball players listen to in India. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I think that's, I, I feel it, it, it just like, you know, once you accept one Western thing, the, the big Western music back then was Metallica, right? Like in the early right. 90s. Like, I, like by the time I got into hoops, I, I, we had already reached the sort of Jay-Z, Nas era. So like, so for me, it, mm. it kind of, I think the mid-90s hip-hop boom had already sort of like permeated. So, so I was able to sort of like, again, basketball was the vehicle to music, you know, or, or the other way around. Like you couldn't, you couldn't separate the music with the sport. Um, That's interesting. Uh, Vasu, before we let you go, you know, there's so many MJ moments, stories that we have sort of like grown up with, like whether it's the last shot, whether it's like the shrug game, whether it's like something off the court, like for example, like telling, uh, playing, golfing with Danny Ainge and then dropping 63 the next day, whatever. There's so many stories, right? If you had to choose uh, one, and Kaushik, I'll ask you the same question right after. Like if you had to choose one, what would be the most important MJ story or moment for you? <laughs> so, so for me, I would say, uh, I'll, I'll give you the answer for MJ. And then, I, I, then even though you didn't ask me, I'm going to give you that moment for Steph as well. Because oh, for course. me, those yeah. are, those oh, are yeah. the two guys that have had probably the biggest impact on my life uh, overall. So, so for MJ, it was, um, it, it was when he came back after the first retirement. Um, mm. I, I still remember, this is, this is one of those times where I can still remember when I was seven years old uh, or, or eight years old, I think, somewhere between seven and eight when, when he announced he was coming back. And I, I had, again, there was no internet. We're living in California. Um, you know, my parents, we don't have cable TV. So, so I had heard a rumor somewhere, and I don't remember where. I don't remember whether someone at school told me, whether, like, my parents had said something, like, they had heard somewhere on the news. But, like, I remember vividly that day, like, I come home. I've been told that there's a chance Michael Jordan's coming back, but I can't get confirmation anywhere, and there's no internet to look this up. I can't see what's trending on Twitter. And so... I had a little pocket radio. It was a little red pocket radio. And it had, I still remember it had Michael Jackson on. It was a Michael Jackson branded little maroon pocket radio. And mm -hmm. so I go to sleep that night at like eight o'clock as my bedtime. I put my headphones on under the sheets and, I, and I'm like tuning, like continuously tuning AM and FM stations, trying to find someone talking about the news. And I think it took about two hours. I think it was probably like 10, 1030 at night. And finally, I hear this woman's voice come on the radio and she goes, Michael Jordan announced today he's coming back. Mm. <laughs> and oh, man, I remember just jumping out of my bed, screaming at the top of my lungs and like running <laughs> through my house going, he's coming back. He's coming back. <laughs> I remember my parents were sitting in the living room. and They just look at me like, what are you doing? Get your ass back in bed right now. And I'm like, Dad, Michael's coming back. And so, you know, for me, I think when you, you think back to like pure joy in your life, that was the moment where it, it was, I had been so depressed when he had left. And to have him come back um, still in his prime and me still living there, and then and then getting to watch. Unfortunately, we left the U.S. shortly after he he returned. Um, but I I got to watch you know those final three championships in India, and and so that was huge for me. And then with Steph, 
you know, that that same moment was the day when he was the, the night on a Saturday night when he was having that insane game in Oklahoma City. Yeah. yeah and yeah, then yeah. he he just pulls up from freaking 37 feet and bet. Oh, my God. Bang, bang. <laughs> it was crazy. Like the, the first that, double bang off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The first double bang. Like and, and to me, that was the moment where I was like, holy shit, this guy's special. And, and that's what sort of prompted me to start, like, for the next two years, doing everything I could do to make sure that I was in Golden State as often as I could be to watch this, because I was like, man, I, I just, I don't want to look back on my life 10 years from now and say, I, there, there was greatness here, and I didn't watch it. So, so I have sort of a, a regrettable uh, a step story. Um... I was in DC during the season, this like incredible, like uh, uh, unanimous MVP season. Like in my, in my lifetime, probably the most exciting basketball I've seen that one year yep. step, right? Yep. Um, and I, I was doing a master's degree then. So I had night classes. Like my classes like would be like two or three times a week, six to 8 PM or something like that. And whenever I could, I, I was also covering wizards games. So I would actually go to games whenever I like not to watch the wizards. I would go there to watch right, whoever else course. was. Right. <laughs> so it just so happened, like one of the most important classes for me like like it was the day that something I had written was getting uh, reported on and discussed happened to ha- happen on the same evening that Steph was coming in, during that season to play for the Wizards and I was like god damn it like it couldn't have been worse timing like this is the one class I can't miss one of the two classes I can't miss all semester and finally I decided like it wasn't worth the risk I went to class oh okay I just yeah I know oh. Steph shows up drops 25 in the first quarter ends up oh. in like 52 Oh, and I was like, dude, come on. <laughs> but, you can, luckily, you can never forgive yourself for that. No, but, but luckily I did, I did like, I did go and see the, the Steph KD teams a couple of times in DC and, you know, it was, it, it was magical. Um, Kaushik, uh, what about you? Any, any favorite Jordan moment? Is there one? Uh, probably because I'm maybe like a couple of years younger than you guys. The first sort of main memory for me was like the, the last season the one that's sort of heavily featured in the documentary, the the last shot and, you know, everything that you sort of uh, hear about this great man named Michael Jordan and then you kind of see this as a as a young, impressionable kid. And I think that's probably like the peak for me, arguably the peak of his career as well. And imagine leaving, leaving on a high like that. Um, the other two years in Washington did not happen, by the way. Um, so. <laughs> so, so I'm actually sort of like, I don't hate the DC seasons. I think it was kind of fun to see this 39, 40-year-old drop 40. Like, I actually look back at that and I'm, it kind of makes me very happy in a way. I don't know. It would have been nice to go out in the last shot. It's, it's a perfect ending, but yeah. You know, I, can't, a- I cannot picture one moment of, like, I don't know whether my mind just wiped it out entirely <laughs> or, or, or I actually never watched. I, I don't know. I cannot remember a single moment of Jordan on the Wizards for you guys. Not yeah. one. Do you remember the All-Star game where he hit that game-winning shot over, or, or game-tying shot over Sean Marion or something like that? It was just, only only yeah. because I've probably seen the highlight in a few documentaries, but like I don't even remember watching mm. that, man. It's crazy. I don't know what it is. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. And, and I think I think my favorite part of that that era, that which again I insist didn't happen, uh, was just the stories about how he would trash Kwame Brown. I, <laughs> that's, Kwame. That's, <laughs> I yeah. <laughs> I mean, another thing I'm gonna I'm enjoying about this documentary is that it's kind of like making a lot of young people, like have a lot of 
like sensitive feelings like about just like how mean people were but they weren't it was just like that's just the way it, MJ was and you know yeah, we were all assholes back yeah, then. Like exactly. when I think when I think back to some of the things I said to people in high school and college, like yeah, yo, if 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 like if that shit, if someone had a recording of that, like my life would be over right now. Um, like we we said things that no human should ever yeah. say to one another back in high school and college, and and I think that that was just like the '90s and the 2000s was a different time. It was just me, yeah. No, it, I mean, it, it existed pre like the era where everything was recorded and reported. You know, we could just get away with a lot more. So, <laughs> that's right. Um, Vasu, thank you so much for giving us the time for like sharing all these crazy stories. Like, we we could have just gone on. We had so many questions, but I'm sure we've taken <laughs> up like entirely too much of your time. Awesome. Um, Always happy to talk hoops with you guys. Uh, thanks again for joining us, and I hope you enjoy the rest. Of, I know you're gonna enjoy the rest of this documentary. Yeah, and, uh, absolutely. Yeah, we'll. I, I think if you guys are listening to us, if you don't already follow Vasu on his social media, like he has so many, so much knowledge, so much cool stuff like dropped about basketball. His stories are just incredible. Uh, yeah, follow him, and uh, thanks again for, for for joining us, man. Take care. Absolutely. See you guys. Thanks. Thanks, All Vasu. Right. Great speaking to you again. Likewise, guys. See you soon. So I want to thank Vasu for giving us so much of his time, telling us so many incredible stories, and like, I mean, I feel jacked up. I I I feel like this was the conversation with him was already the third episode of the Last Dance because we got like we got so many more <laughs> stories. And uh, yeah, man, like uh, it's he. I had so many more questions. I had so many more different tangents that we could have gone on, but you know, of course, you can't just take someone's time all day. So, so let me ask you, since since we are here, let me ask you some of the questions that we had left over. How about that? Yeah, sounds good. If you so so one one of the things I was curious about, like you know, MJ seemed to have this like very perfect sort of godly career in a way. You know, people talk about him in this like re- reverent terms, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but if you could, if there's one thing you could change or improve about his career, what would that be? Oh, can can you actually improve on that career? <laughs> I mean. <laughs> Um, I, I the, the only thing that makes me sort of wonder, compare, I guess, to today's day and age is, like, the guy went from 84 to 91, that's like seven years, right? That's the duration of the entire sort of first couple of contracts in today's day and age, um, with a series of, like, nearly got there yeah. kind of moments. And in today's day and age, we would have labeled him a choker. The first and, six years, yeah. Yeah, and I don't know what like the media and stuff like that back in the day was. Maybe there was expectations that you know you had to work your way through, and it took you seven years to get to, I guess, the pinnacle of so uh, of the NBA. And stuff so like actually, that. if you read about it, he was. I, th- I think the label on him was that he's he that he, like, he's a great scorer, but a, a mm-hmm. perimeter guy, a small guy who's the top scorer can never win. I think that was the 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 story back then. I think the story yeah. was that you can never win without a dominant big player. So, mm-hmm. so Jordan was just considered to be like, oh, he's a flashy, exciting guy, but he's he's not really gonna be a winner, which is okay. That's fair. Yeah, yeah, which is which. That's fair. Like, I I think again, like directly, that's probably not a slight to him in a way that we say we consider someone like James Harden, right? Like, we just consider him a choker. Or if if like Nowitzki didn't win, and we've had this conversation across like multiple chat groups and stuff like that. Maybe if he didn't win, can we think of him as a choker? So I I really so, would have. I wonder, like, if maybe he didn't win that 91-92 sort of seasons, uh, what would what would his legacy be? And maybe he'd, he'd still, like, the competitor that he was and the kind of player that he was, he'd find a way to have come out 
of that as well. But um, that's probably the way I, I look at it compared to, um, you know, anything else. So, what about you? Like, no, so, you know, like the, the whole choker thing, I, I think that, I think it's sort of MJ's fault that, that now players mm. are expected to win the way he did. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it, I think before him, you almost always like, and again, I don't have like the every year stats in front of me, but you almost always needed to have like an all-star big guy to be successful mm. in, in the playoffs, you know? And and the biggest player in those Jordan's early uh, three-peats was, was Horace Grant, or the best big player, you know? Like, he was okay. He was fine, you know? And later on, it, it was Rodman, who's a defensive beast, but not really, I'm going to throw it to your post and you make it happen, right? So, yeah. so after that, like, it's been, even now, it's kind of rare if you think of it in a way, you know, like, like Kobe doing it the way he did in 09-010 with Gasol as the second best player was considered to be like kind of a big deal because he did it without a superstar big man, you know. And then LeBron finally yeah. broke that through because he can just do everything on the court. Uh, and now the game has changed, you know. But I, I think that's why there's that expectation because MJ changed the rules. Like he he made it that like I, I'm going to do it so now everyone else has to live up to his sort of example because yeah. he was that it's, great. It's the uh, birth of the rings culture, isn't it? It it is, and uh, that's that's the era we born into. Like for me, if I could change something, I I would just not want him to retire in '93. I would say like, oh, play yeah, the, of course, play or in '98. Yeah, or '98. Like I I mean that's yeah uh, that's sort of Jerry Krause's fault too. But like, but I mean, <laughs> I, I he could have gone. I don't know if he could have won like eight or nine straight, but I think mm-hmm. he could have won say like seven out of eight. You know, something yeah. like that. I think he would have been. And it would have been amazing to see, say that MJ does lose one finals. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would have been amazing to see how he, like how angry he would come back. Like we all knew when he came back from 95, 96, after the retirement, everyone's questioning him. Yeah. He had lost in the playoffs to the Magic, which was, I mean, there's an asterisk behind that loss because he had barely played that season. Mm-hmm. But he comes back and they they win like 72 games and they win a title. Mm-hmm. Like he basically decided like, no, I'm the best right now. Or, or I think that first season they won 69 or something like that. But um, yeah, uh, just to add to that, I would probably also say it would have been great if we saw um, him go up against Hakeem in the finals. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, it's yeah. No, I can't remember where I read it. It was like, imagine being taken before Michael Jordan and like people don't give you shit for it. That's how good Hakeem was. was. So, yeah, it's it's yeah. a rare. Yeah, he's Sam Bowie is the one that you know Portland fans will never like mm. uh, <laughs> never forget. Um. Well, I guess my last question is, and this is, you know, trigger warning, I guess. <laughs> the, the GOAT debate. Everyone has a debate. What debate? debate? <laughs> is, is it a debate? Because to me, honestly, I, I'm not, and I'm not trying to be sensationalizing about it. Like, I, I don't think there's a debate. I think MJ is just in his own stratosphere. And then there's like a step below. And then there's like five or six guys who are sort of around. Like the number two debate to me is a very healthy, fun discussion to have yeah. but I, I just honestly don't see anyone being as dominant in NBA basketball as Michael Jordan was like I, I don't even want to take the, the names because they honestly don't even belong in the same conversation like I don't know what do you think yeah completely agree there is there is just absolutely no way uh, that so far what anyone's done um, they will come close to Michael Jordan in this category I think the problem is that you have every Every generation of fans that want to feel like they were part of 
the best thing ever. Yeah. So every time something new comes along, when Kobe came along, there was a bunch of fans that thought that thought maybe this is the guy that'll make us belong to this, uh, you know, this extremely special thing. And then it came with LeBron as well. So I, I think like you'll always have that, but the benchmark has been set right. Like six yeah. championships, for better or for worse, that's how we measure um, the success of of a particular player and the legacy of that player. Uh, but I think I think to be honest. There was a moment where we would have all sort of got got caught up in the uh, in, in the hype where like when LeBron won his title in Cleveland, I think if we maybe capitalized on that and maybe won like one or two more, then we would have real real conversations because like that achievement is is unlike anything else that has happened post Jordan. Mm. So may, maybe we would have thought about it then, but I think that ship has sailed. Um, even even if say like this pandemic didn't happen and if if the lakers won this year like i, I still think that like that ship has sort of sailed yeah um so yeah i guess it's time for uh Giannis or luca and and their <laughs> careers to see see how that happens if if there's another shot at uh, someone toppling the the great man well i'm just thankful that we in this time of no sports and no nothing we we have something you know like we are like there's a lot of terrible things happening outside all our homes and it's just great to have this distraction we're all fortunate to have this distraction um, thank you to the Lord Almighty Michael Jordan for existing and allowing this <laughs> allowing this documentary to happen. And uh, thank you for you guys for listening to this very long episode. But you know what else are you doing? Come on. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, and yeah, this Kaushik, is a Michael Jordan sized episode. This is an MJ sized episode. Uh, Kaushik, any any last words? Uh, no, not, nothing apart from the usual. Uh, as always, a big thanks for all of you to listen to our podcast and our, our episodes if you want to reach out to us we are available on a lot of different social media platforms Karan is at hoopistani on twitter i'm at underscore kaushik seven uh, the podcast is at hoop darshan and we have a variety of other online presences as well like facebook soundcloud itunes podbean hit us up if you have any questions we'll we'll answer it we'll shout you out um, but as always thanks for tuning in and until next time hashtag india basketball